Hey guys, thanks for checking out our podcast. We hope this week's message inspires you and encourages you. Feel free to check out our website for more information. Here's today's message. Lord Jesus, we thank you to know the truth that you never have failed and that you never will. So Lord, we thank you for that this morning. We, we affirm that again this morning. We, we know that you will not fail us. And Lord, if we look back, we know that you never have failed us. And so we thank you for that. And, and Lord, we thank you that we can be reminded of that this morning. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a seat, friends, and relax. Thank you so much, Tash. And thanks to our, our worship team as well. Hey, I wanted to let you know a couple of things, friends, before we look at um, money mission matters. Um, most of you will have heard by now and, uh, that our, our dear friend, and sister Kath Huppert passed away during the week. And, um, and I don't know about you, I always, it always hits me, you know, when, when someone goes to be with Jesus, but there's something a bit extra about Kath, isn't there? You know, um, she's been part of this church since, since the very beginning and just, just the most, most beautiful beautiful lady um, so we're praying this week for her family and I guess some of you will know Jennifer one of her daughters and Jennifer's son Colin and their family and then then the rest of the family as well quite a number of kids and grandkids and so we're we're praying for them all um, and then our friend Wendy as well Wendy Dagger who who we know like she's one of our life group leaders um, and her husband Charles had a serious um, heart attack on uh, just just the other night, and he, so he's had open heart surgery yesterday. Um, and hopefully this morning, Wendy tells us he's in a little bit better, little bit better shape after coming through the surgery. Um, but we're praying for them as well. And I thought we could just take a moment now and pray for those things. I, I said to Wendy, "Would you like us to pray for you in church this morning?" She said, "Yes, please." So let's pray for. Wendy and her family, and also for the, for the family of Kath Huppert. Would you join me? Lord, we, we just bring these, these things before you this morning, and we know there are, there are others as well. We, needs are, are just, a, just a part of our life, and there are so many things that happen to us, and, and we find it hard to find our way through them. So, Lord, this morning we thank you for Kath, and thank you for her long and beautiful life um, and we pray now for her family and extended family we ask for them especially in this time of mourning and grief and we thank you with great assurance because there's no doubt at all for us that Kathy is now free of any human limitations and that she is with you for all of eternity and we just we rejoice to know that thank you that uh, that we, we know that for sure we pray as well, Lord, this morning for, not just for Wendy, who we know well, but for Charles, her husband, and for her family as well. We pray especially for Charles this morning, um, recovering from the heart bypass surgery um, and from the heart attack. And, and Lord, we ask, please, for your healing hand upon him, your hand of safety and protection and recovery. And um, we thank you for Wendy and the, the, the ways in which we know her and and how she serves in our church here. And so, Lord, we commit her to you. We pray for her. And uh, we 
commit these precious people to you. And then just while we're praying, friends, you'll know people as well. Why don't we just in the silence, just, 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 just mention those names in the silence. You, you can mention them to, to Jesus. He, he knows and he hears and we're together. Abba, Father, thank you that you, you have heard all those names and the, and the thing is that you knew them already anyway. We thank you. Thank you that you're working in all of these situations in these people's lives and we continue to look to you and we continue to trust you. And now as we look at your word for a little while and in particular the, the idea of money mission matters, we, we just ask you, Lord, to would you speak to us? We pray that the spirit of the living God would speak to us now. Not Jeff, not some program, the spirit of the living God. So Holy Spirit, we, like we welcome you here and we trust you now to be speaking to each one of us. And thank you. Amen. Well, I wanted to ask you if sometimes you feel a bit heavy. I don't mean overweight, but a bit like you're carrying a pretty heavy weight on your shoulders. So we, like your back's getting a bit sore and increasingly your knees feel like they're going to buckle because you just, you know that's figuratively carry, carry, carry. You're stretched and, and, and at the same time as being stretched, it's like you're squeezed as well. Especially when it comes down to money. I heard on the news on the way to church this morning, 48% of Australians in a poll that's just been conducted in the last, in the last few days, 48%, the top priority that they have is cost of living, 48% of people. And let's be honest, because these last couple of Sundays, May, if you've been around Mill Park Baptist Church, you've heard a bit more information from right here, from right here behind this pulpit. And that information is putting a bit of burden on your shoulder too. It, it's even making you feel a little bit squidgy. Because we have a way, don't we, as people, of, of working around things that we don't want to hear. Like we construct narratives that we want and we shy away from narratives that we don't want. We do that. We all do it. I mean, at least I do. And I wouldn't mind reworking the rules around people writing their names on food. You know when people write their names on food in the fridge? Because I'd be a lot more relaxed about it. I, I found this poor guy, he said there's a strange new trend at the office, people putting names on food in the company fridge. So today, I had a tuna sandwich called, named Kevin <laughs> for lunch. Yeah. You know, we're like, we make it up to be what we want it to be, don't we? And you heard some tall orders about money and this thing called, that Jesus called the spirit of mammon these last two Sundays, and it would be a big temptation just to write it off. Explain it away. Why? Because the burden's too heavy, Jeff. That's why. Like, I'm one of the 48%. I'm just trying to make, my, make ends meet financially. I don't need to hear about this. 
And I want you to know that I get that. Because I know the stats now, and if you've been here, you probably know too that the New Testament, remember it's got 215 verses in the whole New Testament of our Bibles that talk about faith. There are 218 verses, just three more, that talk about salvation, coming to know Jesus, people's eternal destiny. 215, 218, and 2,084 verses about money and finance. And then I look at the the stories, the ones that we've got recorded, 38 parables, stories that Jesus told. And out of those 38, 16 of them, so it's almost half, deal with money. So it seems, much to my disliking and discomfort, that the Bible and Jesus, I look at that, and if I want to call it Kevin, then I'll say, well, the Bible's got a disproportionate interest in money. And then if I, if I steal myself just to, well, maybe we'll leave Kevin's tuna sandwich in the fridge for Kevin to eat, then I read on a bit further than Matthew chapter 6, you know, where Jesus said, and we've looked at it both weeks, that, that, that I'm not able to, not like it's not advisable to, not like it'll be hard for me, I'm not able to, I have no capability to, and neither do you, to, to serve both God and the spirit of mammon. So no matter how hard I try then, like, like I start getting indigestion with all that stuff, like in Mark chapter 10, When a man comes running up to Jesus, he kneels down in front of him, he stops Jesus in his tracks, and then in between breaths, because he's been running, he pants and he says, good teacher, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Well, why do you call me good, Jesus says to him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments, You know what they are, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honour your father and mother. That's what Jesus says to him. And teacher, he says, enthusiastically, he's buoyant now with, with hope that he's on the right track, because he said, I've obeyed all those commandments ever since I was a kid. And then Jesus looks at him, that's right there in Mark chapter 10, Jesus looks at him with that part of the conversation, the commandments now behind him, Now it's got to that point, Jesus feels genuine love for this guy. And it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he says to that guy. Go and sell all your possessions. Go and sell all your possessions. Take the money that you get from that. Give the money to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. And then when you've done that, then come follow me. You see, unless I'm going to rename Kevin's tuna sandwich, all I've got to do, friends, all I have to do is open up the Bible anywhere in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and not as commonly, but still quite commonly in the narrative of Acts and the epistles in the Bible, in the New Testament. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read about money. And the more I read about it, the more of a tall order it's going to feel like to me. It's going to sound like. 
And I start feeling like this, this Christianity journey, this discipleship, this following Jesus is a big, big ask. And it's not just a big ask, but it's an onerous, dangerous, risky path to walk. Like first, take a look at this. Take the tram up to the start of the trail. That'd be a bit like saying, friends, anything, any, any financial provision that comes into your, into your hands, return a tenth of it to God. Not just a tenth of it, the first tenth of it is what God says. And then, just, just follow the path on these straight wooden planks in the next photo amidst amidst your never-ending bills, it might be like saying, while you're trying to walk over those planks, amidst your never-ending bills and your endless expenses, that's straightforward, isn't it? Just follow the path. And then be sure that you hold on to the railing so you don't fall off. And keep one eye on the person in front of you, especially in the church, because everyone else needs your help too. You don't just have to do this for you. You've got to help other people do this. And then be very careful when you're passing someone going in the opposite direction. <laughs> and now just a few steps up. Sell, sell all your possessions. Is he for real? Anyone who wants to follow me, Jesus said, will have to turn from their selfish ways. I have read this one million times before. And in the last few weeks, it's come freshly home to me. Jesus says, anyone who wants to follow me. I always read anyone, but I used to read it as, um, some of the people. Anyone who wants to follow me is going to have to turn from their selfish ways, going to have to deny themselves. They're going to have to pick up their own cross daily. And that, I always knew that, that's a symbol, the cross. What is it? It's a symbol of suffering. It's a, a symbol of unjust punishment and accusation. It's a symbol of sacrificial death. So he says, if you want to follow me, anyone who wants to follow me has to pick up his or her cross, the symbol of suffering, and follow me. Guess where Jesus went when he was carrying his cross? If you pick up your cross or if I pick up my cross and I'm following Jesus, you know what I'm doing? I'm following him out of Jerusalem with the angry mob to a place called Golgotha, where he's going to get nailed to the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And he said, anyone who wants to follow me has to do that. You guys are following Jesus. The apostle Peter said that. God's called you to do good, he said, even if it means suffering just like Jesus suffered for you. Jesus is your example, he says. And guess what he says then? And you must follow in his steps. <laughs> And then it gets steeper. So you just put your toes in the holes to climb up. 
And Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your own life, you'll lose it. You won't be able to hang on to it. Just a few more steps. Another, another big ask. You, you might, you might want to hang on. And then somewhere, somehow you find there's this restaurant at the end of the trail. And I'm told, by the way, for these photos, if you make it to the restaurant, then the food's free. <laughs> you don't have to pay for it. And seriously, anyone who's just, even just a little bit past gullible or naive or misguided or ignorant, if you want to take a genuine look at this, this thing Jesus calls us to, you know, like friends, it's, it's no summer afternoon picnic. And sorry, like, I, I know you want to feel good when you came to church this morning, so did I. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it, that Jesus makes some big asks of us, like, doesn't he? Jesus makes some big asks of us, those who choose to follow him. And if you're thinking anything different to that, I'd urge you to think again. I've got these verses in my mind just occurred to me now. They're verses that I affirm to myself every, every, every morning, you know. Um, and it says, it's from Philippians chapter 3, and it's from the message translation. Let me tell you what it says. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you has any, something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You will see it yet. We want everything God has for us. I, I know it might not be helping you to feel good this morning. But if you're thinking, any, thinking anything different to that, I'd urge you to think again. Tight, getting tighter, economic times. When Jesus asks you and me to recognize and renounce, we've said, the spirit of mammon in your life, and practically when he says, hey, return the first 10% of all your income to him. And, and then we saw last week, give, give generously, be a generous, be a radically, extravagantly generous person after you've even returned that 10th. That's a big ask. And then when Jesus tells you, hey, if you want to follow me, no matter who you are, then you're going to have to pick up your cross, follow me out of town to the hill called Calvary. Well, I mean, that, that there, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and, and then follow me, that's three big asks all in one sentence. And then when Jesus speaks his last recorded words on planet Earth, right before he bids his best friends goodbye, and then he leaves his fledgling little band of ragamuffins to, to organize themselves into the first ever church, and then as the church, because he leaves them with his job, to set about reaching the whole world, including the 1.6 billion people who, who Dave Wake just mentioned to us, who don't yet have the scripture in their own language, the just over one-third of the world's current population, and, and we, we say this often here because we want to have it firmly in our minds, just over one-third of the world's population, friends, who have never, ever heard the name of Jesus. When we say never, ever, we mean never, ever heard the name of Jesus, and they never, ever, ever will hear the name of Jesus 
unless something changes. And logically speaking, as we've said the last couple of weeks, what, what, what would change that people who've never ever heard the name of Jesus would hear the name of Jesus? The Bible tells us, I mean, how, how will they know if they don't hear? People will have to go. People will have to get into those places and go there. That's how it'll happen. So when Jesus sets up the church and he says it's your job, the church, it's your job, including you at Mill Park Baptist Church, it is your job to reach every person in this world. Doesn't mean that we here have to reach every person. We have to be part of the movement that does reach every person. Every ethnic group, every people group, every single little language group on the earth with the good, good news, the life-saving news of God's rescue of humanity. And if you say that, that that's what Jesus asks the church to do, that's full of big asks, isn't it? And all these asks, I mean, are they just like admonishing us? Are they just trying to make us feel guilty or naughty or selfish or preoccupied or materialistic or lazy, routine for... Are we, just, are we just naughty people who are gripped by the spirit of mammon? You know, so we're, we're really bad. So like these little birdie birdies, like if they, the mum says, first you start staying out late, now you're dying your feathers and what ne- what's going to come next? You're going to pierce your beak? Like, does Jesus just want to tell us off? You know, this big, big task of bringing God's kingdom to earth. You know, Jesus said it. We looked at that last week, the way that, that he asked us to pray and in the old way we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most important job ever handed out. And it's ours. He doesn't want us to, he want to go out of here feeling bad today. Because if you take a read through your Bible, you're going to come to another conclusion pretty quickly as well. And that is that, not, not just that money is important to the scheme of things, because if Jesus has hold of your money, he will have hold of your heart. But also there's a linchpin key to the way Jesus wants his church getting the job done. Yes, with money. Yes, it is but there's a linchpin key. Come and just take a look at it with me for a sec. Because you know what? There are bucket loads of, of research and writings in history. And one of the things that they demonstrate, and anyone here who's studied this, I'm sure will agree with me, because it's just, like, it, it's undisputed. It's as clear as you can see my nose on my face right now. One of the guys who wrote it, J. Edwin Orr, he said, this is the truth. There has never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. Never. It's fascinating, and it's really compelling to read it as well. Now, we started way back in 2008, it was, a long time ago here at Mill Park Baptist Church. What's that, that 15 years ago? We started talking about being a, quote, a radically prayerful church overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And we talked about it so much then and the years ahead. Like maybe then it, like maybe it became a little bit too familiar. And then over recent years, it hasn't so much been one of our catchphrases. And I, as, I, as I did this this week, I, I had to write that I'm not really sure why. And we've long defined, ever since we first articulated core values for our church, and over the years, these have, these have changed slightly core values. This one has not. One of our 10 core values of prayer. And we say there, we say that we believe that prayer is vital. It's a powerful foundation of our relationship with God. And we want to be a people radically devoted to prayer, individually, in groups, and corporately. Now, I'd say that in all of my time at the church, I'm I'm at about 17 and a half years, I have seen here at Mill Park Baptist Church, there's been been a heap of things happen, and I've seen some growth in prayer. But I don't think we've seen a whole lot. We've seen a whole lot of growth in some areas. But not, in, in my opinion, not in prayer. And if you were comparing us to the great prayer movements that, that J. Eben Orr just spoke about, then I, I, don't, I don't think you'd be, you wouldn't be writing about Mill Park Baptist Church and saying, hey, if you want to see an example of a really awesome prayer movement, take a look at Mill Park Baptist Church. And if history shows that big movements of God come about and in every single instance they're accompanied by a groundswell radical movement of corporate prayer where people get together and pray, where God's people start making sacrifices to pray with their brothers and sisters, well, the fact is that would mean that here in this church, we're not yet, it's a great church, great people, really good people, but we're not yet in a position to see that sort of radical movement of God in our church. Because we haven't cracked that yet. You read about all these prayer-accompanied revivals, you come across names like, like John Erskine, Scottish Presbyterian minister, and he published, he called it a, a memorial It was in the late 1700s, and he was pleading with the people of Scotland and elsewhere to unite in in prayer for the revival of religion. And he sent a copy of his book to the great American theologian, Jonathan Edwards, in New England, in the United States. And Edwards was so removed that he wrote a response, and he published it in a book. Look at the title of this book, friends. Here's the title of the book. A humble attempt to promote explicit agreement and visible union of all God's people in extraordinary prayer for the revival of a religion and the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth pursuant to Scripture promises and prophecies. <laughs> what book are you reading at the moment? Oh, <laughs> That's the title of the book. In September... 1857, Jeremiah Lamphey, he started this prayer meeting. He went to the upper room of a Dutch Reformed Church consistory building in Manhattan, New York. And in response, he he advertised it, you know, widely, right right through the city. Six people came. There were one million people living in, in New York in those days. Six people. Following week, 14 people. Then the next week, 23 people. Then it was decided then we're going to meet every day to pray. By late winter, they're filling the Dutch Reformed Church. Then they're filling the Methodist Church on John Street. Then Trinity Episcopal Church on Broadway at Wall Street. And in February of March of 1858, this is true, every church and public hall in downtown New York was full of people who were praying. 
And a landslide of prayer began and it overflowed into the churches and, and in, in the evenings in churches. People would come at night time to pray. People began to be converted. 10,000 people a week in New York alone. And the movement spread throughout New England. The church bells, they're, they're bringing people to prayer at 8 o'clock in the morning, 12 noon, 6 in the evening. And then the revival goes up the Hudson and, and, and down the Mohawk where the Baptists, even the Baptists, for example, they had so many people to baptize that they went down to the river, cut a big hole in the ice and baptized the people in cold water. When Baptists, when Baptists do that, they're really on fire, aren't they? Like, you know, and then their revival, this revival that started in people gathering extraordinarily and sacrificially together to pray, it reached Chicago. And there was this young shoe salesman. He went to the superintendent of the Plymouth Congregational Church and he said, could I teach Sunday school? Sorry, young fellow, was the reply. I have 16 teachers too many. I'll put you on the waiting list. But the young man insisted, I want to do something now. We'll start a class, the superintendent said. How do I start a class? We'll get some boys off the street, but don't bring them here. We're already full. Take them out into the country, and after a month, you'll have control of them and then bring them in. They can be your class. And he did it. That young shoe salesman took them to a, a beach on Lake Michigan. He taught them Bible verses. Then he took them to the Plymouth Congregational Church. The name of that young man, Dwight Lyman Moody, better known perhaps as D.L. Moody one of the greatest and most famous evangelists of the modern era. That was the beginning of a ministry that lasted for 40 years. Trinity Episcopal Church had 120 members in 1857. By 1860, it had 1,400 members. And that same revival jumped the Atlantic. It appeared in Ulster, Scotland, Wales, then England, parts of Europe, South Africa, South India, anywhere where there was an evangelical cause. It sent mission pioneers to many countries. It began, it all began. We've just seen that in a movement of extraordinary prayer where people ceased their other activities because you can't do the other activities. Like you can't fit 16 hours worth of stuff into 10 hours. You have to drop something else. They ceased their other activities so they could pray. It began in prayer and it was sustained by a movement of prayer. And Stuart Robinson, he, he was, um, he's still in Melbourne now, but he was a Melbourne, he was, a Melbourne pastor until he retired a few years back. He said, it's only when we begin to see that nothing that matters will occur except in answer to prayer, that prayer will become more than an optional program for the faithful few. And instead it will become the driving force of our churches. See, you know, don't you, like, if you have a, if you have a prayer meeting, uh, I'm not trying to sound cynical or nasty, but like, there's no way we'd have this many people turn up for a prayer meeting, is there? There's no way on earth. The prayer meeting, and, and yet we're hearing that it's the most important thing we can do. Now take a look back with me at the moment. Just follow this with me because it'll, it'll help to ground this on where we're at right now. Even just these last few years, if you've been around Mill Park Baptist Church for the, for the last few years especially, um, and I don't know exactly when to pin it to, but, but especially just these last few years, four, three, four years. And you know what? We've actually seen in that time unprecedented growth in and around and through our church. 
And how do I say that? Are you just the pastor who's just trying to talk really positive and say that? Well, no, look, just take a, take a, take a look at it. I just picked out a few pointers. We could, we could be here for ages picking them out, but just take a look at these. Firstly, do you know, like, our mission giving? So in, in, the, in the budget of the church, the money that we as a church, so, like, we, we put money in the offering. That's where the income from the church comes from. Um, and then with that, the church does all sorts of things with that money. One of the things we do is we actually give to missionaries. And that's where, where, this month especially, we're profiling each of the missionaries. This year, um, for the first time in history, because it's gone up, it's never, ever gone down. It's 15% of our budget. And this year, for the first time, it's just over $100,000. How good's that? Like, I mean, the, the giving to missions has gone up and up and up. Just over $100,000 for the first time. We, we, we cracked the $100,000 barrier this year. Back at the start of 220, we started at the Arabic congregation. Um, Pastor Sammy over there with a smile from ear to ear. And the Arabic congregation, uh, I want to encourage you, um, it, one Sunday... Just come along, and even if you don't stay for the whole thing, just come along, listen to these guys practicing their music, and if you close your eyes, you'll feel like you're in another country, won't you, Sammy? Because it's a whole different sort of music, and you'll, you feel like, man, I'm not, I'm not in Melbourne. And this is growing. There, there are more and more people coming to the Arabic church, and when we, we hear the stories, and I mean, I get to hear lots of them, you get to hear a few of them, there's no doubt at all. And meantime, then, the year after, our Korean congregation... Pastor Noah and his beautiful wife, Jong-in, as well, sitting there. They've got smiles on their faces from ears to ear as well. And, hey, it's fair to say the Korean congregation, um, it started slow, didn't it, Noah? It was slow. Um, and there were a few weeks there at the start where there were, there, there were no, new, no new people coming. But it's growing now. Noah and Jong-un have been as faithful as can be, and it's growing now. And, and just last week when I met with Noah and Jong-un, we've got around 30 people or so now. It's awesome. So you don't just make stuff like that up. The Donnybrook Community Church, um, that started out, it started on a process of discernment with Pastor Catherine, and um, it's just meeting with... Oh, you don't need to know his name, but like this was, where's Sam and Beck? This was in relation to you, Sam and Beck. I was just meeting with someone about you guys the other day. Andrew Livingston is the member care person for CMS. Christian Church, Church Missionary Society, I want to say, um, the Anglican arm, and that's, that's how Sam and Beck are going to be working with. And, um, and we were... We, we were talking there about the best principle of giving as a church and when you send people, especially for planting churches or for mission, the best principle is to give your best. You send your best people. And, that's, and so Donnybrook Community Church, and it was independent, able to be independent of us at the start of this year. Um, you know, we got our results. Natural Church Development, NCD we call it. This is the, this is the tool that we use just to... It, it's a diagnostic tool to try and understand what's the health of our church. What's the health of our church? And we've done it about every two years. We've done seven of these surveys over the time. Um, and, and realistically, 
without trying to confuse you, what it does is it, it assesses our church in eight areas. And for those areas, and this is heavily statistically based, and, it's, and I, I don't take any offence to it, every time you, you do this in any church, someone will say, oh, that doesn't mean that, or that doesn't mean that, or you've skewed the results, or you've got these people, or you're like, people will, will I, and, and that's, it's understandable, I'd say, because they just don't understand the principle by which this works. It's heavily statistically based. And if you look at that, we looked at it with the pastoral team this week when we had our retreat on Wednesday, we looked at it and you can see the basic line for Mill Park Baptist Church. And each time we've done the survey, the line's pretty much the same, but it's gone up a bit. And so this time in the eight areas, what they say is if you're scoring 65 or above for each area, then it puts you into the top 15% of churches in the world, hundreds of thousands of churches that they've done this research with. And so it, if you've got a score of 65 or above for that area, then it's, it's healthy. And you know what? We got, a, we got a 75, we got a 74, we got a 65, so there's three. And then we got a 63 and a 62, and then we got two 59s, and our lowest score was 58. Our average was 64. Now, that's bamboozling a bit. Just take it from me. What that means is that's the, that's the sign of a church. It doesn't mean it's a perfect church without problems, but it's a church that's healthy. So what I wanted to ask you this morning, when we're talking money, mission matters, and we want to get as much money as we can to get as many missionaries as we can, we want our money to honour the Lord, we want our church to honour the Lord. We've talked all about prayer and the, and the fact that prayer always precedes great revival. And then if we just look at that and say, look at the good things that are happening in our church, there's just a few. Think carefully with me on this, friends. What would our enemy, the devil, think of that church? What would Satan say? What would he do about it? Do you think he'd just see that church and just <laughs> sit there with his hands folded and say, What would you do? Like if you were the devil, what would you do with a church like that? Bearing in mind that you're more powerful than these people. You're not more powerful than God, but you're, not, you're more powerful than these people are. What would you do? Especially if I just plant a little idea in your mind, especially if you were able to take a whole bunch of people who are good, 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 good people. They're good people. And they're committed to the, in their lives. They're committed with their lives to showing and sharing and living the good news of Jesus. And they do support lots of missionaries. And they do send, spend over $100,000 a year doing that. And it'll be more again next year. If you could take those people and you could, as the, the prince of this world, as, as the evil one, as the devil, diabolos is the Greek word. It means the accuser within. If you could take those people and you could somehow get inside their thinking and maybe just subtly trick them just into some tiny little cracks. Tiny little cracks. I got given this, this 
this beautiful china teacup and saucer. Rog and Steph, at the start of the year when I did their wedding, they gave me this beautiful, beautiful Friday morning, and I've been using it every morning, I drink tea from it. Friday morning I'm drinking, and I've never dropped it, it hasn't put it through the dishwasher, just treated it like, 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 like gold. And then I noticed there's a crack in it. And I'm thinking, hey. And then I was trying to feel, was it, was it leaking? It didn't seem to be leaking, but then as I drink, I think maybe it is leaking. So I think, well, I'm going to take that to the T2 shop and see if I can't change it. And, you know, I took it and I put it in the car. I was going to meet someone else. I put it in the car on the front seat. I put my beanie in between, in between the cup and the saucer so they couldn't break each other. And I'm sitting there and I'm driving. Guess what happens? It breaks. If, if you could just start with a little tiny crack like that, in a church like that. Would you do it? What would, what, what would you do? Especially if those people weren't praying their hearts out together already. You know, this last year, undoubtedly, friends, undoubtedly the last year has been the most painful and confusing and the hardest 12 months of our history. What do you make of that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a part of a church that's a nice place. Or I've got better things to do with my time. I don't want to be part of a church that's just good at being good people and nice people. Do you? I want to be part of a church that's on team with Jesus, getting the good news to the world out there. Last Wednesday morning, had brekkie with a young girl. She's, she's, this, this, this girl is in between... Hayley and Jake for age. We used to live next door to her. She's a beautiful girl. I catch up with her for brekkie every couple months. And in Hurstbridge for brekkie, we spent about an hour and a half together. And I reckon that's 90 minutes. And I reckon 75, maybe 80 minutes out of the 90. She was asking me questions and we were talking about Jesus. And I was driving back then, we're going to have the pastoral team retreat, and I thought, hey, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We're talking about Jesus. We're concentrating on talking about Jesus. So as we finish, I wonder, what could we do to see prayer get radical in our church here? Just take a look at these words for us. You might be, they might be familiar to you. Um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 to 22. If you know this is um, John is writing, the, he's, he's in exile on the island of Patmos, and he writes letters to, to seven churches. They're letters from Jesus to the church. Look at what he says. I know all of the things you do. This is to the church at Laodicea. I know all that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. You've heard of 
spoken values, haven't you? Spoken values and lived values. Organisations usually have both. Here's the values we speak about, here's the values we live. So, because you need a hot nor cold, and if he was talking about prayer, he could say, well, so you, you, you seem, you, you're okay with just a few people in your church praying. You, you don't mind if, if the church prayer meeting is the, the poorest attended meeting of the church. You, you're okay for people to stay, stay timid about prayer. You, you don't seem troubled about it. Like Maybe that would be the same as saying, you're the hot nor cold. You're good people. But you're not too worried about that. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. You could, you could transport that into saying, well, we don't, we don't need anything to change here. We don't need to put ourselves out. We don't need to be concerned about, about, about what our kids learn by watching their parents. Like, so if your kids at home, if you're a parent, and your kids, what they learned about and what they grew into and what they practiced as prayer as they became adults, if that was based entirely on what they saw their parents doing, what would it look like? You see, we're rich and we have everything we want. We don't need a thing. We're like, we've got a tuna sandwich called Kevin. <laughs> but he says, and you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I correct and discipline everyone I love. See, he doesn't want you to walk out of here feeling bad. It's because and Jesus looked at the rich man and, and loved him. He loves us. He says, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Hey, could he be saying that to you? Could he be? Um, we've said this the last few weeks. We, we are in a rough and tough season in our church right now, and that includes our finances. We're coming in a fair way behind in our offerings for the year against our budget. We've, we've never had to reduce our budget in the time that I've been here at the church. Um, but you know, if we, if we ever were to reduce the budget, let me just let you know a little secret because sometimes people say, oh, we can, what we could do is we could try and use a bit less power or we could, we could cut the funding. Let's, let's take ministry X and we'll cut their funding. We'll, like th- th- they, get, they get $600 of funding each year. Let's say $500 of funding each year. Let's cut it. And so like if we do, you know what that does? Cuts $10 off the budget for the week. The only significant way to cut a budget in a church is the staff. And then depending on the church, and this one very much the case, the staff or the missionaries or both. Maybe the deeper thing that needs to change is our prayer. Would you pray with me, friends? And as we pray, I just want to read to you something that Jesus said, and we've, we've mentioned this verse each week as well. He said, so seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Seek the kingdom of God before you seek anything else, and then live righteously and when you're doing that guess what he will give you everything you need 
everything. So you may have seen it this week in the memo. There'll be more that comes out this week. Next Sunday night, we're going to gather together to pray. And we want to we wanna get everything. We want to call it one of those drop everything you're doing and just come pray with us things. We want you to recruit your family and your friends. And it's not just for old people and it's not just for young people. We want people of all ages and stages. We want to get together and there won't be any great big agenda. We will get together and pray and ask Jesus and seek his face and say, would you show us? Would you direct us? Would you help us? And we have no doubt at all that he will. He already is. We're going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for speaking to us here today. We just ask you for for greater yet things. We ask you, Lord, to release more and more money from this church to the cause of mission. And we're unashamed in asking for that, Lord. We pray that you would help us to fulfill our vision of being able to send out more missionaries, more, more of the Dave and Lynn Wakes who we commissioned 26 years ago. Um, more of those, um, that we'd be able to send out more missionaries, that we'd be able to, to always be increasing our giving to missions. And we say this in our vision, that, that that would always be increasing at an astounding rate. The sort of thing that, that when people see the jump in the budget from year to year to missions, they go, oh, wow. We want that, Lord. We want to be so focused on the good news of Jesus and on getting that good news of Jesus to the community around about us, right like just a stone's throw from our door in our city, in our state, our country, and then to the ends of the earth, especially to the places who've never heard of the name of Jesus. That we want to be so focused on doing that, 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 that it's almost like we don't have a focus for anything else. That we're looking outwards looking outwards and that that's what we're doing and that you're using us to do that. We long for that, Jesus. And so we ask you, please, to keep working in us, keep refining us, keep purifying us, keep making us the people that you want us to be for every single person who's part of this this church family. Please, Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for listening and God bless you.